Hello, coming to you live from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Her Next Chapter, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories from amazing women who have reinvented their careers or lives. Could be total changes, could be side hustles. I'm Stephanie Pierce, mother of three, wife of one, former corporate exec, and now I am the founder and CEO of StephPierce.com. And I am Julie Burton, founder of Modern Well, a female-centered co-working space in Minneapolis. And I'm the author of The Self-Care Solution, A Modern Mother's Must-Have Guide to Health and Well-Being. And I'm a mother and a wife. In each episode, Julie and I will bring you these awesome stories about the power, pain, and laughs that come from change. Are you ready for your next chapter? Hi, Jules. Hello, Steph. Hi, listeners. Welcome to the next episode of Her Next Chapter. Um, it's been quite a week, Jules. It's it sure been has. Quite a week. Uh, for those of you who may have forgotten, um, Julie and I, and um, we're so excited to have uh, Latoya Burrell with us today. We are all in uh, Minneapolis. And, you know, if if you're paying attention, there's a lot going on here uh, in the Twin Cities. And so um, we are, I am thankful to have uh, LaToya on today for lots of reasons. Um, one, because she is a great friend. Two, because I, I admire the work that she's doing and I have the chance to admire her, you know, mom to mom as well. So, um, you all missed a super great conversation that we just had about all of the things that are happening in Minneapolis and how we are feeling as residents of this community and, you know, LaToya and I as women, moms um, of color, African-American, what it means to be, you know, kind of in, certainly in this part of the world and in this country during this time. So let me tell you a little bit about LaToya, just so you know. Uh, LaToya Jones Burrell is the executive director at the Anderson Foundation. Uh, she leads and manages their activity of the foundation, with, really with an in continued involvement and support from their family. Um, LaToya is also Zenpro's Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, DEI. Um, for those of you who aren't in the DEI space, that's what it stands for. Um, she is their champion, working with their leadership team uh, to provide experiences and resources to advance the ZINPRO, D-E-N-I journey. So we all know how important that work is and continues to be. Um, LaToya um, wears many hats, and I'm going to share just a few. Uh, she works as a legal and business consultant for small businesses. She's a member of the Board of Directors for People Serving People which um, for those of you outside of Minnesota, it's a nonprofit shelter for families experiencing homelessness. Um, she's a licensed attorney in the state of Minneapolis and Louisiana, and she is a published author. Um, her book is called Be Bold. You will hear us talk about it. We will give you links to get to it um, on our website. Um, so LaToya, we are so excited to have you join us. Welcome to her next chapter. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure. Oh, we're thrilled uh, to tell your story. So, um, Latoya, I am going to just kick us right off. Um, I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about two things. 
So let's start with reinvention. When you hear the word reinvention, when you think about reinvention, what does that mean to you? That's a great question. So for me, when I think about reinvention, it may not be the typical answer. You might hear other people talk about reinventing themselves, but for me, it's about being okay with not being perfect. And that's been it for me. And whether it be my definition of what perfect or perfection is, a family member's expectations of me or a coworker or a society in general of what they expect from us as women. For me, my reinvention story was me coming to grips with the fact that I am human and the fact that I am not perfect and being okay with that. That is awesome. I love that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That resonates a lot, for sure. So tell us, talk to us about how you got there, LaToya. So I wonder if, you know, was there a time or some point in your life or career where you were striving for perfection and something shifted? Um, But tell us a little bit about your reinvention story. You know, I think we often strive for perfection. I will say, I think a big shift for me happened after I had children. So I can remember the first year of my oldest son's life having family members say to me, we thought you would be a different kind of mom. We thought you would be a stricter mom. We thought you would be X, Y, and Z. And for me, it was the first time realizing that I cannot control every single thing and that's okay. So there's a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. You hear a lot of people talk say that as a cliche quote, don't sweat the small stuff. But after I had children, it was a new definition for me of what sweating the small stuff really is. So I had to learn to let go. And I would always say things like my husband would ask me, what is it that you want? And what are your goals? And I would say to be happy. But then digging deeper, discovering what does that mean? In my definition, what is happiness? And a big part of that was me accepting the fact that you, no one's perfect from a faith lens even, uh, for me, it's, you know, as a Christian, it's like, if you, you're not perfect. So you striving for it, you will never get that. If, if you, if that's the case, you don't need a savior. If you're already, if you're, you are already there, you've already arrived. So for me, that was the biggest part of me, uh, figuring that out. And I think it was even more evident after my second son, you know, you, you moms of two or more kids didn't warn me, you know, you hear the stories about that second kid and, I say things like my first son was a life changer and my second son was a game changer. I found myself just craving, and this might sound wrong, but just craving time for me, just feeling like I lost sight of my identity and who I am, right? And and in that, discovering you are not perfect. So how do you, so so I love that. I love that so much. And, and, And the fact that like, moving away from perfectionism is, is reinvention. I mean, it, it really is because I think, like you said, so many of us walk around, you know, maybe even like early in our, earlier in our lives thinking like, okay, everything has to be perfect. I have to be perfect. I have to have this job and I have to make this much money and I have to, you know, have my house or my, you know, place this way or, and then, right. And then you have children your whole world turns upside down and uh um but so so what what kinds of things do you do and and think about in sort of practices like on a daily basis to help you sort of stay stay in that and stay um 
you know, sort of reminders of, of, I mean, I think you mentioned your faith, which um, obviously is, is a great practice, but kind of on, on a daily, how do you, how do you lean into, into that sort of self-acceptance? I think a big part for me was, again, defining what happiness means to me and being okay with being great in my imperfection. Mm -hmm. So one of the books that I love, I've read it several times. I I recommend it to friends. Typically, the book is uh, Successful Women Think Differently by Valerie Burton. And in the book, she talks about, it's a, a series of questions where she says, what area of your life are things good and what works? And then how can you apply that to the areas where you think you're struggling? And for me, it's my time management, the fact that I'm extremely organized and I'm intentional about certain things. So you don't want to see your life in that way, but it's like I'm able to excel and work because I'm intentional. I'm organized with my time. So then I had to figure out how do I take that over to my my personal life. The one thing I struggled with was time for me. I would complain about it. I, I never get a time to myself. And the biggest thing was me being intentional and saying, you have to make time for yourself. And I, you know, I, I joke about this, but this is the truth. Before the pandemic, I started going to Lifetime and I say, you know, I didn't join Lifetime because of the fitness aspect, because I can work out anywhere. And I did. I joined Lifetime because of the childcare. When I found out that they would keep my kids for two and a half hours, sign me up, right? And then it just so happened that my boys loved it as well. And then the pandemic hit mm. and lifetime shut down. And we were inside and suddenly I'm at home with a kindergartner who's homeschooling. And at the time my youngest was not even two yet. And I find myself this intentional space and work that I had done. I had, I had done so well. It had been a solid year of lifetime. And here I am at home. So I had to figure out another way to be sane. And ironically, I see that as reinvention too, because I went back to the drawing board. Okay, okay, be intentional, be intentional. What wasn't intentional for me though, was during the pandemic, that Memorial Day weekend when George Floyd was murdered. That was a turning point for me. Like I've said to people, it wasn't the first time that I have experienced anything like it. I am old enough to remember Rodney King uh, and it felt different for me with George Floyd. And so coupled with all that was going on, what I started doing was writing. I don't consider myself to be an author or a writer. I don't think I'm poor at it. By default, the legal profession, we read and write a lot. Like law school is legal analysis. But I found myself writing these short articles. And there's another author who wrote on the same website, wroteforthemedium.com. And he said, when I'm drowning in emotions, writing is my life raft. And I realized that day when I read that, that my sanity that I started to feel in the middle of this pandemic, because at this point I wasn't going to the gym. I wasn't comfortable working out outside of my home. It was still cold here in the Twin Cities. And uh, I realized that the writing was therapeutic for me. Still not thinking I'm an author, still not thinking I'm going to write a book. The best way to put it is, and if I'm candid about this, I had a book that I, about five years ago, said, hey, I'm going to write this book. I didn't tell anybody. I took notes, and I'm like, one day I'm going to write this book. Ironically, that book is still sitting as a, one day I'm going to write this book, yet I've come out with a new book. And it was because the book is bigger than me. So it got to the point where I was, I literally, not just a cliche statement, I was having sleepless nights. I couldn't sleep. I was up between 2 to 6 a.m. 
about day seven of this, I said, I just would know what to do. I would get up, get my laptop, start typing. And so the writing truly was therapeutic. So when people say to me, how in the world did you write a, whole, a book in the middle of a pandemic with small kids at home? The writing was my intentional therapeutic outlet and also my, my feeling of being obedient. I feel like this book is beyond me. Your book is your, is your lifetime, your, <laughs> your lifetime and your lifeline, right? <laughs> um, that's, that's fantastic. And, and I mean, the pivoting that, that so many, I mean, we all really had to do during, during COVID um, was incredible, but it, it's really, um, it really speaks volumes to you. I mean, the, writing a book during, during this pandemic, that that's huge. So congratulations. Um, um, in, in the book and I'm blessed to have it on my nightstand and I just, I, I, it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful book and everybody should buy it. And, um, we, uh, we definitely endorse it. Um, but obviously it's, it was a difficult book for you to, to write. And, um, and like you said, this, the, your story needed to be, um, needed to be told. And so can you tell us a little bit about how, how it's been for you since, since the book has come out and, um, you know, reactions and what, how, how is now, now, how is your life as, as an author? <laughs> so thank you for the, the kind compliments regarding the book. And you are right, you know, even when talking about the first question you asked about reinvention, the book was a stretch for me because I explored my why. I didn't, so I'll, I'll explain what I mean. I explored my why as I was writing this book. As I wrote this book, I didn't tell anyone until I was halfway through. The book is a little bit over 40,000 words. I was typing in Microsoft Word, and I, so I knew I had 20,000 words. And I'll never forget when I told my husband, this is how the discussion came up. It was uh, our governor, Tim Waltz, was on TV. And he was talking about the everything that was happening around us, you know, a lot of rioting, looting, protesting, all of it, all three, uh, as well as the pandemic and the push to reopen. And my husband leaned in and said, man, when his term is up, he's going to write a book about this experience. And I said, what do you think about people writing books? And he's like, well, I mean, if you have something to say. And I said, well, what would you say if I told you I was writing a book? And I, you know... I don't know what I expected, but he said, well, my question would be, when in the world did you find time to write a book? But my second thing would be, whatever, I think that's great. Despite that, and to me, I tell him that that meant so much to me because if he would have said something negative, that probably would have put my fire out. But I still had reservations. What if I misunderstood my well-meaning message around such a topic that is controversial and taboo what if I'm misunderstood? Why am I typically quiet? And the next day, a young woman, I don't know her, it went viral. She put a message on Facebook that said, I've often been the quiet black girl because I don't want to be viewed as the angry black woman. And then she said, but no more. And in that moment, I said, that's right. And then I started to dig deeper into why have I been the quiet black girl. And again, I think for me, I'm the first in my family to go to college. My parents were teenagers when I was born. I'm the first one in my family to go to college, law school, let alone law school. And it's this idea of you worked hard for what you have and you don't want to compromise that. 
by being misunderstood. You put a book out like this, and I say like this, I my book is not controversial, but I know when you say racial reconciliation, when you say certain buzzwords around that topic, certain people shut down. And I've seen that firsthand with my book. I'll give I'll give an example in a second. So that caused me to pause. Are you sure that you want to do this? And I just felt confident that you know that's not your intent. You have to just go ahead and do this. And even once I got the book done and it was off to the publisher and I'm just in waiting. I know now that the book is done. I'm waiting. I am engaging with someone on social media and he found me. I, I did a I did a presentation, a panel, and I think that that's what made this person come to find me. I don't know him. And he comes under a post that I have and he says, some of us know what really happened. George Floyd was a horrible person and Derek Chauvin was just a bad cop. And so we go back and forth and I'm trying to like, you know, let's talk about this. His profile said that he was on staff at a church that I know. So I was like, you know, let's have, I'm saying things like in Christian love, let's have, let's talk about this. And he's like, finally, he said to me, there's nothing else to talk about. And that's when he said, you know, again, a horrible man and a bad cop and the whole world is in uproar. And he said, don't bother to respond. And I said, well, with all due respect, I am going to respond and say to you, if you think that this is only about one bad cop and one bad person, then obviously you and I are living in two different worlds. So I shared it with one of my girlfriends and she said to me, you know, you've told me this. She said, like Latasha Morrison's Be the Bridge. She's like, if you want to be a bridge, bridges get walked on. And she's like, you have to be, be comfortable with that because everyone is not going to be excited about the message from your book. I've had other examples like that. To make, make it brief, I had another example where a gentleman who I do not know posted a message on Facebook and he tagged me and he basically was thanking me for writing a book. And he was very honest about at times I agreed with her, I didn't. Like the whole takeaway was, I am happy that I read this book and examined myself. And he's recommending the book. D do not know me. Well, a lady comes under the post and she says, the problem with groups like this is they, are, they deflect attention to the real issues. So I reply and I'm very cordial with her and I'm asking her questions. I'm not saying anything, I'm asking her questions. And then I guess she realizes I'm the author. And then she says, well, I guess you're right. I have not read your book and I don't, you know, well, the gentleman deletes the whole thread and then he sends me a private message and he said, I don't want to deflect attention from the message that your book has. So this is not about you. This is about her. I deleted the chain. So it's, it's been a whirlwind. All of that long answer to answer your question, it has been a whirlwind. And I tell people often, this process is about constant growth. And for me, I'm constantly learning and growing and evolving as well. I love that. I Do love you that. think, LaToya, that writing will continue to be an outlet for you? Or do you see that outlet evolving? I have not written a ton more. I, I, after my book, I did write a few more articles. And I've had that question, like I had someone who I was introduced to by way of my book, and we've stayed connected. I've never met them in person, but we've intentionally connected over the last few months 
and he was asking me about this transition into the new space that I'm in. And he said, that sounds like a book. And I said to him, well, if it, if I ever get the urge or confirmation that I should be writing this book, I'll make sure to let you know that this was maybe two weeks ago, that in April of 2021, that you said it first. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't need credit. I just, you know, I think that you have a gift here. And so my response there is, it is definitely therapeutic for me. And what I've been doing is journaling more so than not. So I just mentioned the book that I just mentioned because I'm rereading it with some of my girlfriends. Uh, and so I'm getting it out in that way that I discovered from this book. I wonder, oh, go ahead, Steph. I'm just wondering, as you think about writing the book, as you think about um, the pandemic, George Floyd's murder, Chauvin trial, and I think about the work that you're doing, how has all of that impacted the work you do in the community with Anderson, with Zenpro? I just wonder, you know, are they seeing a different Latoya than perhaps they saw a year ago? Absolutely. If you would have had 20, April 2020 Latoya, if we were having this discussion, with just the three of us, I would candidly have talked to you about these things. So the, the, the trick about it is, it's not like I just woke up and decided I'm going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, implicit bias, racism, microaggressions. It's something that I had always done anyway. In fact, I'll share this. I had some of my own. No one did this. This is me. This is being who I am. If I am in a job, I want to know that next thing. So although I have a law degree, let's say that I move over to a certain practice of law. I want to get that specialty. <laughs> That's just who I am. So as I'm writing this book, I'm thinking, well, what makes you the authority? I'm saying this to myself. I'm looking for degrees. There are no diversity, equity, and inclusion degrees. There are certificates, but not degrees, because that's who I am. So I had already done, so that's why I could have written a book this fast. I jokingly said to someone when that question was asked about experience, I said, well, I, it's time for me to retire. I've been doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work since I was in kindergarten. <laughs> I've, I've been doing this for about 35 years. It's time for me to retire because I don't have the luxury of not thinking about certain topics. But I can, I, I'm like, I can tell you the first time I was called an N-word in kindergarten. I can tell you the first time I discovered that my white friends didn't invite us to their birthday parties although we were good friends. And now that I'm an adult, I realize it was not them. It was likely their parents. So I'm like, yeah, I've been doing this work for a long time. I've seen it. But what I think they would tell you is the difference they see is, and, and even in my work setting, if my job was diversity, equity, and inclusion, I'm going to be vocal and do what I have to do in the job, but I'm not going to take it outside of the walls. I'm not going to I'm not a Facebook live person. I'm not going to, I didn't even have an Instagram account until my book came out because that's just not who I am. Oh, that's not who I was. Right, right. That. Right. That's awesome. So, Latoya, you, um, you've had a lot of success uh, in and your your career, and and um, can you tell us? I mean, I'd love to hear in your journey um, some of your biggest challenges um that that you've faced along the way um obviously you've 
you know, you've talked about the the racial piece, which um, um, sounds like it has been a challenge and, and but um, yeah, some, some of your challenges and how you've moved through those. And I'm just, I'm really struck um, by you in, in that you have such a, a grace about you and, and your, um, your warmth and, and your kindness and your um, compassion for other people um, where it sounds like in a lot of situations, people may, other people may have reacted differently. And, and I think there's, it, I'm just seeing so much of your heart in the way that you, the, the way that you live your life. Um, so I'm just curious about some of the challenge that, challenges that you've faced and, and how, you've, how you've moved through those. That's a great question. I think that for me, a challenge is always perception versus reality. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I have been very intentional about, like I made the comment about quiet black girl, not want to be viewed as the angry black woman. Uh, I'll answer the question, but I'll shift and say, I'm very intentional about talking about my book. I say it's harmonious racial reconciliation. In the book, I talk about my Gallup strengths and one of the five is harmony. So I'm very aware of the words that I use the terms that I use. I don't want anyone to feel alienated. I understand when you have DEI trainings and you lead with white, white privilege or white fragility, people shut down because, you know, so I'm very cognizant of that. But for me, when I say perception versus reality, I can recall growing up having people say to me, you're, you're so nice. I thought you were, I didn't, I thought you were not approachable. I thought you were this. I thought you were that. And I have been so intentional in my life about not showing up in that way because that's not who I am. Like I say, if that's who I am and that's what you perceive, then so be it. But if that's not who I am, I don't want that to be the perception. So, you know, I I, I joke about when I was teaching college courses, I would start my class by saying, I know I'm the only minority in the room because oftentimes I would be. I recognize that I may be the first black teacher, professor, mentor relationship anything that many of you are having including if I had black students in the room and I would say I'm debunking the myth if I have a resting face that looks mean I'm not I'm approachable I speak English and there's a story that goes with that and I would share that with them and tell them I speak English and more importantly I want to see you succeed and I would have to do things like that so that's why that's what I mean by perception versus reality and that has followed me and so I'm usually offended hurt if I'm if I'm misunderstood I've had in a professional setting a white male say to me that if people only he he said people wouldn't dare not submit assignments and work to you it's hard for me to follow up with requests when you've made a request and I said well what do you mean And he said, well, you know, you're scary. And I said, no, I don't know. What do you mean? Like, what what do you mean I'm scary? And he's like, you know, you're so organized and you have it all together. And I said, so what you're saying is they're going to submit their work to me because I'm organized with my request and my follow-up. And it bothered me because I thought, how many other people did he tell 
I was scary or this or that when really it's was his own insecurities, right? So it's it's a lot of things like that that I've struggled with because although what people think shouldn't matter, for me, it's been a big part of I want the perception and reality to match. For sure. I, I echo a lot of that. I wonder, LaToya, as we think about wrapping up, what advice, what counsel, what support would you give um, to those women uh, who are trying to figure things out, trying to find themselves in a sea of activity, uh, trying to find their voice? Um, I wonder what advice you'd give to them. I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is that know, people say, know your why. Like, what is your why? Why are you here? I have had people do this exercise. I do it too frequently and I say why. Uh, in that knowing your why, like I said, my husband used to ask me, what is it that I want? And I would say to be happy. And then he'd say, well, what does that mean? And I have to think about, well, what does that actually mean? So what is it that, what, are, what is your goal? What, what are your goals? And to get there, you have to examine yourself. So I say to people, I know you're not a business. Oftentimes it seems hard for someone to ask you, what's your mission? What's your vision? What's your values? What, do a SWOT analysis on your life. What are your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? Uh, how can you be aware of those blind spots and use that to grow? And I say to that, yeah, we're not businesses, but businesses use it to make sure that they're governing themselves accordingly and to be successful. So why would it be any different for us? So I say just for those women out there, make sure that you know your why. And a part of that is also that that will help you to make sure that you're planted on solid firm ground. And for me, I usually use this cliche statement, I'm having to learn how to take care of me and put myself first, even though I have small kids. But with that, I say, when you fly, they tell you, you put your own oxygen mask on first. But I've taken it a step further. I've said to me, myself, put your own oxygen mask on and actually breathe. <laughs> Allow yourself time to breathe. That's, I love that. I think about that uh, airplane all the time just the whole concept of put your mask on first i even think about it in the morning I, i'm like you know what stephanie how about you get yourself your water or your tea and then we can get into the act of lunch for caitlin and breakfast for caitlin and doing caitlin's hair and you know just take that second in the morning and it's all gonna be okay as opposed to kind of taking care of all of her things and then i'm hungry i'm thirsty you know, I got all these things and which ultimately lead to cranky because then of course I have to go to the bathroom and now it's too late because I got to get her in the car. Yeah. Um, Latoya, we are, um, I like, I literally wrote down, <laughs> wrote down notes because my memory is not what it used to be, but um, we are so thankful to have you spend this time with us. Um, thank you for the book. Um, now remind us, the book is Be Bold. Where can they find the book? Thank you so much. So the book, Be Bold, How to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Racial Reconciliation, it can be found on my website, which is www.theboldlatoyaburrell.com. And also on Amazon. The Kindle version is also on Amazon. And I will go ahead and say I'm crushing my Q2 goals already because a goal was for me to get my uh, 
my draft submitted for this to turn into an audio book. So Yay. hopefully in the next few weeks, I will have an audio uh, version of the book as well. Oh, that is awesome. Congratulations. Post it so we can make sure it um, shows up on our website um, and in our uh, Instagram. Thank you so much. We will have, um, in case you miss all of what LaToya said about how to get to her book and her website, we will have it in the show notes on our website so that you can connect with LaToya and it will be an Instagram as well. So thank you for sharing your story um, and your light um, and your experience with us and our listeners. Um, we appreciate you taking this time during a time when we've got a lot of things going on. And so um, we are appreciative for your support um, and sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thanks to you both. And I am enjoying every bit of the podcast. So I am so grateful that you all decided, decided to actually get it out there for us all to be able to take in. Thank you so much, LaToya. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take good care. Thanks for listening to another episode of hernextchapter.co. You can follow us on Instagram at hernext.chapter. And you can find all of our lovely, fun, fabulous podcasts on all those places where podcasts can be found. Please follow us and give us five stars. We'd be so delighted and tickled. And we hope that you are enjoying your time with us. Last but not least, hernextchapter.co. You can check us out there as well. See you next week.